0: hey everybody welcome to another week of the breakpoint podcast starring myself marcus and my co-host frankie frankie it is a pleasure to be potting with you as always um we are going to be continuing our tennis player profile series today we're going to be covering alexander Sverov and stefano city two out of the top five players in the world currently and Two that are considered part of the next gen. I'm gonna put quote unquote, although they are the now gen, I believe at this point. So um, the next gen title doesn't really apply much. So uh, yeah, I think uh, I think we should get right into it. Frank, uh, do you want to kick us off with Stefano Sitsipas?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, I also agree with your sentiment. I do not think these are next gen players anymore. These are current gen players in the prime of their career. Um, I think when you are describing next gen, you're talking about I mean sinner sinner is also kind of here right now but like he's young enough that you could say next gen and carlos alcaraz and like holger rune guys like that yeah there's got there's going to be a
0: cut off i think like i think 20 like if you're over 21 already you're no
1: longer like next gen yeah i was going to say 22 so that that's about right um anyway so uh, yeah, I'll kick it off with Sitsipas. So he is the number four player in the world, uh, hailing from Athens, Greece. Uh, Stefanos, like many of the other uh, top players in the world, comes from a family of athletes. Both of his parents actually were tennis players. Particularly his Russian mother, which most people don't know. His mother, his mother represented the Soviet Union. That explains the uh, Daniil Medvedev beef. If you go to YouTube, check that out. You mean the greatest clip in modern tennis history? Yes. You should all Google that if you can. Um, Yeah. So his mother was actually a top 200 player in the world, and his maternal grandfather was actually a really successful um, soccer player. He played for CSK Moscow and represented the Soviet Union in like a couple of tournaments, including the Olympics, I believe. So deep family of athletes, all of his siblings who are younger Um, They are also all tennis players, but none of them are really nearly as good as Stefanos. So, yeah, he grew up in Greece and he played in Greece for a relatively long time, all things considered, which I think is a pretty big deal and separates Tsitsipas from a lot of other players that we're going to talk about in the top 20 in the sense that Greece has really had no representation on the ATP tour ever before Stefanos Tsitsipas, there's been a lot of Greek descent players, right? So we talk about guys like Pete Sampras, Mark Philippousis, uh, Nick Kyrgios, Thanasy Kokonakis. These are all Greek-descented players, but none have really ever represented Greece before, been born in Greece, etc. And that is where uh, Stephanos, I think, really separates himself. And he's openly stated that one of his larger career ambitions is to open the game of tennis to Greece and to open tennis itself to Greece as well. In the sense of academies and tournaments should be pre- should be played in Greece. The climate obviously is very uh, favorable to tennis for sure. So that would kind of make a lot of sense. Which I personally really respect about him. And, and um, I think he's done a really nice job with that. Beginning in 2015, Sitsi Pass began working with a famous coach, Patrick Moratoglu, who, if you can't tell from that last name, is also of uh, Greek descent, uh, born in France, but uh, he speaks Greek, which is why he makes sense as Sitsi Pass's coach. But as he, anyone who has ever watched a Sitsi Pass match knows, Sitsipas's father is the main one in the driver's seat when it comes to his son's career. He's super involved. Marcus is going to get into some stories from the days that he was a hitting partner with Stefanos Sitsipas at the U.S. Open to sort of give us a little behind the scenes. But safe to say, Stefanos' father, Apostolos, is very, very involved in his son's career. Um, Steph, like uh, Sasha Zverev, who we're going to talk about, Rose to fame pretty quickly on tour, particularly because his play style was just electric to watch. He was super aggressive, that beautiful one-handed backhand of which he is the only player currently in the top 10 to have a one-handed backhand. One of only two in the top 15, the other being Dennis Shapovalov, but, yeah, so S- uh, Pass has kept the one-handed backhand alive, but he has that super aggressive, all-around play style, can really hit any shot uh, that you can imagine. And he's got, quite honestly, the good looks, the flowing hair. So he was immediately like all the brands were interested in him, wanted him to represent, etc. Stefanos also has like a very big passion for like vlogging and photography and stuff like that off the court. So he's like built up quite a big Instagram presence for himself. He's got an exclusive shoe with Adidas, which is also really cool um, that most of these other players don't, don't necessarily have. It's a casual wear shoe. It's not a a tennis performance shoe. It's like his version of the Stan Smith shoe, which is kind of cool. And yeah, all before the age of 22, Um, He had won the Next Gen Finals, won World Tour Finals, reached a semifinal of a Grand Slam in Australia, beating Roger Federer, a member of the Big Three. Uh, And all of this happened before the age of 22. He had just turned 21 that year. Um, So I think that's pretty much a good summary of Sitsipas. He's a really impressive player. He's a player who I think extraordinarily highly of Marcus does as well. And uh, yeah. So Marcus, why don't you give us a little bit of the behind the scenes of what it was like hitting with Stefano Tsitsipas at the U S open.
0: Yeah, that was a, uh, an interesting time. I mean, this was when Tsitsipas was uh, he was actually 19. Um, so he's born in 99. So I'm two years older than him. So this was uh, my junior going into senior year of college. I was hitting partner at the U S open and uh, they summoned me because I was tall with a two-hander and he was actually playing none other than Daniil Medvedev first round in the 2018 U S open, which was uh, thinking back. I mean, that's a crazy first round matchup. Now we're only going to be seeing that in semifinals and finals now, but uh, yeah, the, you know, he was still a little bit immature than he is now, obviously he was 19. Um, but yeah, the dynamic between the Mortuglu Academy coach and his father, Apostolos, was insane. I mean, anytime the mortuglu Academy coach was trying to in, insert himself and kind of get things on track, Apostolos and Stefanos would just keep bickering and fighting with each other to the point where we actually lost track of time. And he didn't have enough time to practice serves, even though the mortuglu Academy coach was telling him, hey, listen, we only have got like five more minutes, like Steph hasn't served yet. And Apostolos just tells him like, dude, like F off. Don't worry about it. And then they realized with like a minute to go that he hadn't taken serves yet. And, you know, they needed to prepare the court for the first round match. And uh, yeah, it just kind of, it was just a really kind of a sour mood. And I was, you know, I got off the court and I was like, man, he's going to lose this match. And he ended up losing in straight sets, kind of just like what we expected. But uh, I I think he's grown since. Um, But there's a lot of controversy surrounding Steph, particularly with his father and coaching. Steph tends to take frequent bathroom breaks during matches, especially when he's down a set or two, uh, particularly in Grand Slams. Uh, He's been accused of of cheating. His father tends to talk to him from the stands. He also has been accused of taking his phone to the bathroom and receiving uh, advice via text message um, while he's on the pot, I guess. I don't know what he's doing in there, but, you know it's there's a lot of controversy around it I think rules are actually going to be changed because of him and that's another episode that we're going to release too on rule changing um, because of him and the way bathroom breaks should be done and also just coaching in tennis in general but Stefano Tsitsipas absolutely electric tennis player like Frank said has kind of all the perfect marketing attributes with the long hair and the good looks and the one-handed backhand a la Federer sort of Um, so yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how his career plays out. I'm really big on him in the clay season, especially, I think he can win uh, some, some Roland Garros titles. And I think he's got potential to win an Australian open here or there. He just has to really figure out how to beat Tsverov and Medvedev on hardcourt. So it's going to be extremely difficult.
1: Yeah, I also think it's really interesting on a separate note from, well, related to Sitsipas, that the two players who we think of as being the best clay court players outside of the big, like take away the big three, the best clay court players in the world both have one-handed backhands in Dominic Team and Stefano Sitsipas,
0: I'll tell you why it makes sense. Because on the one-handed backhand, you can generate way more power and spin. And if you're strong enough and your technique is good enough, you can do it to a point where it's almost like a forehand. It's that much leverage that you get, right? On the two-hander, it's probably better for hard courts because you just kind of
1: hit it flat and you can't generate that much spin. Unless you're Yannick Sinner, of course. But uh, the, oh, I, I, I wanted I want you to also sort of talk about because this is you just sort of alluded to it, but when you were describing hitting with Sitsipas, the thing that you mentioned to me was his backhand more than anything. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that?
0: Right. I mean, his backhand was so... I had hit with a couple of guys with one hairs, but his was so just really heavy, right? And I remember there was one shot where we were having a rally and he just flicked his wrist like an extra bit at the end and it bounced off the court like a lefty forehand. And I said to myself, wow, that is really good for a 19-year-old to one-handed backhand. This kid's going to be really, really good uh, in about basically a year and the following year he ended up winning at the world tour finals and his career kind of took off from there you know making kind of grand slam uh, you know good having good grand slam results on a regular basis from there on out and being a top 10 player but yeah now his backhand is is really really good i'm actually frank i got to say i'm most fascinated by his forehand because of the grip that he uses. He Eastern, uses yeah. Eastern one, of the, one of
1: the only people left that uses that Eastern-style grip. And he's able to get like a, a good amount. It's not a flat shot. It's a really nice amount of topspin. And his whole game is based around that forehand and dictating with the forehand. So, yeah, he, his forehand, to me, I think is... His, his backhand is pretty, don't get me wrong. But I think as a, a, a real tennis fan and like geek when it comes to this stuff... I think that his forehand is just an absolute must watch for anyone who is into like the deep technique parts of the game because it is the perfect blend to me of an old school style forehand meets a modern tennis game. Uh, and it's, and I, why I also really like it is I think that it's a forehand that should be taught to kids particularly because I think a lot what you see happen too often with a lot of these next gen players is they use extreme grips. They have really whippy sort of styles that lead to a lot of injuries. <laughs> Jack sock. <laughs> um, And uh, Sitsipas is a perfect example of like using that Eastern style forehand and allowing your whole arm to sort of go through the ball rather than just kind of flick it with your wrist can really lead to you having just as good, if not better of a shot without having the injury. um, I don't know how to like the injury, like the the proneness to injury that uh, an extreme Western grip would have, let's say. Right. Yeah, there's definitely less of a risk there. And I
0: think it's great that he's actually able to use that grip. And it's a little awkward to watch, honestly, because also the way that he opens up the racket face. But man, the way he clubs the ball. I mean, we've seen Federer do it for years with an Eastern forehand grip. So it's totally doable. And he's been doing it forever. So hasn't really affected him much, particularly on clay where the ball bounces. He doesn't seem to have a problem with it. Frank, and I think you're gonna agree with this for in order for Steph to really take his game to like another level, meaning be a top two or three player and you know win grand Slams. there are two parts of his game that he really needs to improve. One is the serve. He's six foot four. he's a relatively tall guy and he's got, I'd say one of the worst serves for a guy that tall right now on the tour. I think it's particularly due to his toss. His toss always seems to be all over the place, and he lets the ball drop a little bit. I think if he can work on that technique with his coaches and try to fix the toss and hit it while it's on the way up, that would really help him. And second, his backhand slice is good. But it couldn't be a lot better. But at the same time, the reason why it's not as good is because he grew up playing outdoors a lot, especially on clay. So he wasn't really used to hitting the slice as much. But I think that if he can add more variety in it and get it lower, shorter cross-court a la Federer, the way he's been doing it his whole career, I think that that would really help him.
1: I think so too. I think the serve is the main one. Like, if you had to put a percent like weighting on each of those, I would say 75% of it is the serve, 25% of it is the backhand slice. I think the backhand slice is mainly for grass, quite honestly. Um, I think he just needs the variety on grass to really take a step up on that surface, as well as like, uh, you know, translating to the other soft surfaces. Steph's play style is just all aggressive. Like, you know, he's trying to hit a winner, he's not necessarily trying to make the other guy miss and i think that adding that backhand slice would allow him to just reset the point a little bit if he gets on the back foot and that's sort of like that like this is really nitpicking but like if you want to be the best player in the world you need to nitpick yourself so like that's one of those things i think the serve is the most obvious one the guy just needs to have easy games i mean the ser- having a good serve allows you to like put all of your energy mainly on trying to break your opponent um, and I think the perfect example of this is, and I've said this multiple times now on this podcast, is Daniil Medvedev. Daniil Medvedev has such a good serve that he is able to just put all of his energy into breaking the other guy. Because his serve is, quite frankly, when it's on, it's unbeatable. You're just not going to break him. Look at the U.S. Open final uh, from 2021. Look at the first two sets of the Australian Open in 2022. Daniil's serve is on you can't beat him you just simply can't there's nothing that you can do and um yeah i think that's that's the key with for stefanos going forward if if he's able to get that serve to a point where it's at least like 75 to 85% of what daniel medvedev's is for example then i think we've got a player that can really 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 be special um and we'll we'll talk about uh, Sitsipas's ceiling after we talk about our next player, who I think the two of them are inextricably linked, quite honestly, which is uh, Sasha Zverev. So, Marcus, why don't you uh kick off your compatriot off a little bit?
0: Yeah, this is a great segue into a guy who's also got a bad serve for his size, um Mr. Zverev uh sasha svarov alexander svarov is uh has been one of the best players in the world basically in every age group i remember frank i was playing tournaments in germany when i was 12 years old and he was already the number one ranked junior in germany uh he went you know was already one of the ranked best ranked juniors in the world at that age as well and it kind of continued that success throughout his junior career he won the junior australian open Won an ATP 500 match when he was 16 in 2014 at Hamburg. So he's been kind of the prototypical boy prodigy, you know, tennis player. Everyone kind of knew that he was going to be this good ever since he was 11 or 12 years old. So it's been really fascinating to follow his story all the way around. Uh, he's also a big boy now. He's six foot six. Uh, I think he almost weighs at least. It looks like he weighs 200 pounds. He's gained a lot of muscle. He's got one of the best backhands on tour as well um, and but there's just something missing with him. And I think it, we just kind of alluded to it. It's a serve and it's also the mental aspect. It's funny because he grew up in a tennis family. I mean, his brother was on the tour Misha Sverov, who was a great, great doubles player and an amazing volleyer and his father is his coach. Uh, and that's something we should note, Frank him and his father have a completely different relationship than stefanos and apostolos do his father is very quiet very calm during these matches he has been his main coach i mean sarah's tried other coaches he's tried Ivan lendl juan carlos ferrero he always ends up coming back to his dad and that's where he's had the most success so we'll probably see him stick with it but yeah it's it's a completely different dynamic and i think that's really good for sarah I just wish that they would really improve upon his second serve and a little bit of his mental game because he tends to hiccup, uh, especially when he has kind of these opportunities to close out matches. We saw it in the 2020 U.S. Open final against Dominic Thiem. That was his match to lose, and he did lose it. And then we saw it a little bit uh, during this year's Australian Open when he... Inexplicably lost to Dennis Shapovalov and kind of just broke down mentally. We expect a little bit more from him at this point, considering that we've seen him make some Grand Slam uh, Grand Slam runs. But you know he is going to be a he's going to be a Grand Slam winner when it happens. We're not sure yet. I'm thinking of him like a a la Andy Murray, who it's going to take a while for him to actually break through. I'm hoping he does it this year. I think he's got a shot at the U.S. Open to do it. I really don't think he wins Wimbledon or the French Open, but he is a he is a threat at ev on every single surface uh he's a great clay court player a great hardcore player and he's a mediocre grass court player and i think he can improve his game on grass i think improving his serve will help out with that tremendously
1: yeah i actually do think he's a threat on grass i think i think he's more likely to win wimbledon than he is the u.s open i think there's just way less competition at wimbledon especially if novak is not able to play um i think i think uh, perfectly legitimate chance that Zverev could win because all he needs to do is just serve like he did during ATP World Tour Finals where he just sort of goes for two first serves and really hopes for the best, (laughs) quite honestly. This guy, for reference, this guy literally can't hit a second serve. Like, Like, literally has no second serve. Like, my second serve is better than Sasha Zverev. Like I'm not, I do not even think that's like hyperbole in me saying that.
0: No, we we both hit faster second serves than him. Yeah, it's incredible
1: because when you're watching him play, Frank. I mean, if you're
0: if you're an average tennis fan and you turn on a Sasha Sverov match and you see him serving 140 miles an hour, and then he'll miss it, and then you'll see the second serve come in at a whopping 72.
1: You're asking yourself, what? I've seen him. I've seen him hit as low as 63. That's I mean, ridiculous. I mean, that's what? absurd. That's, that's absurd. It's it's insanity. But you never <laughs> see that. Yeah, you just
0: never see that on the men's tour. It's 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 insanity and you just ask yourself like how 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 are you so good and your second serve is so bad? We've literally never seen anything like this. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing for the game honestly. I I think it's kind of bad. It's like, damn, how is this guy really this good with that? But his ground game is just outrageous. So, he he's going to be winning slam soon. And um, yeah, I, I think that he's going to probably break out at the U S open or at the Australian open next year.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I just, both of us think very highly of Sasha Zverev on the court. Um, He is a fantastic player for sure. And I think what, what separates him from everybody else is that he's proven that he can be a threat on any surface, Right. The rest of the players, like we, we, like the player we mentioned on this podcast just now, Sitsipas, who has that all around game, like has really not had much success at Wimbledon. Um, whereas Sasha at least has done fairly well. I think he's gotten to the round of 16 quarterfinals, if I'm not mistaken, something like that. So he, he, he's a good player. And I think that, um, you know, what Sasha needs, you know, in my opinion, I don't even think the mental game is that big of a deal for him really at this point. I actually think he's like, Gotten that sorted out for the most part since the Olympics. Uh, you know, listen, he's not. We need to not have the same expectations of everybody else that ever plays this game in terms of their consistency and go to the big three, right? Like the big three cannot be the consistency standard because they were literally broke the mold on every consistency standard that we have. That's like true. we have to allow for like. You know, a th- a, listen, it's a t- it's a fourth round loss, which is not like he's lost in the second round. He lost in the fourth round to Denis Shapovalov, who then almost beat Nadal, probably should have beaten Nadal, um, who would end up winning the tournament. So I give him a little bit more slack, quite honestly, but uh, I fully, uh, you know, should he have won that match? Yes. Will he win that match nine times out of ten? Probably. Um You know, what I think looking at Zverev's game that he needs to fix, obviously the serve, but I'm not even going to get into that. That's just, I mean, it's appalling to me that his serve is what it is right now. Uh, But for me, it's actually the forehand. I think that he is super, he can be relatively aggressive on his backhand and go for shots, particularly if you ever want to like look up a clip, just like look up Alexander Zverev backhand down the line. It is one of the wildest shots you will ever like. I, I know most players on tour's forehand does not go that hard as Sasha's does down the line. I want to see him be able to open up the court and change direction on his forehand a little bit more because I think that it's just a dynamic that is, is missing from his game a little bit. And whenever somebody like Daniil or Novak is going up against Sasha, I would just hit to his forehand almost the entire time because he's just, he just doesn't go for the shot. He's, he doesn't, he doesn't go for that aggressive shot that can really win him the point. He's just kind of like hitting a good shot cross court. And then at that point, the other person can hit the ball down the line, go for the winner and really like try to win the point. Um, Yeah. Frank, that's actually funny that you mentioned that because I was literally
0: just thinking about that. That's the only, Against everyone else besides maybe the top three or four players in the world, he does fine
1: because it's just so good from the baseline. But they're not good they're not good enough to beat him. They're, right. they're quite frankly, they are not good enough to to expose because it's back his forehand. To be clear, his forehand's not bad; it's just okay, right? It's and you speci- know that it's not a weapon.
0: It's specifically where he cannot go with the forehand, and that is his forehand down the line. Djokovic and Medvedev are the masters of exposing that against him. They will force him to beat them with his forehand down the line, and he is unable to do it. If you notice matches where he does beat Medvedev or Djokovic, it is when he's able to crank that forehand down the line. If you saw, if you watched that match during the Olympics against Djokovic, that second and third set, all his forehand down the lines were going in, and that's exactly why he won the match same thing when he beats medvedev that is the difference maker uh, that's going to be the difference maker you know when he wants to win grand slams the forehand down the line the second serve you know it's tough to really live off of a first serve all the time you know he he is able to do it listen he made the final of the us open he basically had the match on his racket so it's not like he can't do it with what yeah, he's got and, now yeah and listen he wants you, to be you, more consistent he's got to do that
1: yeah. And you also got to say this, like the other reason why the forehand down the line is important is nine times out of not nine times out of 10, but, you know, over 50% of the time you hit a forehand down the line. What are you doing right after Go to net? Exactly. And Sasha Zverev actually happens to have a wonderful net game that he's worked a lot on and can finish points up there very easily. And that's probably thank you to his big bro, uh, Misha Zverev, who is one of the best, if not like I mean, yeah, he's got to have one of the best hands on tour, period, end of story. He's a phenomenal serve and volley player, which, by the way, is hilarious that his brother is a serve and volley player compared to, like, Sasha's game.
0: Yeah, he grew up in a different generation, but I think that's a good point that you made about Sverov and his volleys. His volleys are great, but the problem is actually his transition game and when he chooses to go to net. He really needs to be more selective on when he actually can go to net and what balls to follow in on. A lot of times he'll think to himself okay I just hit this great shot okay now I got to go to net and then it ends up being not a bit good enough approach shot and then he's kind of put in tough situations to use his hands which he can do occasionally but he's also not that natural of a volley or like Misha is for example to where he can get away with having a bad
1: approach shot. He's also just too big simply like whenever you're that size if a ball's hit low it's it's going to be a really difficult shot for you to sort of dig out and, and get the proper um, uh, feel for the shot but um, I think that that probably wraps us up with, with Zverev. And, and I think the last sort of question that I wanted us to talk about, similar to the Djokovic and Medvedev episode, uh, I think these two guys are inexplicably linked. I think when you look at their games, polar opposites, one's an all-rounder, um, aggressive play style, whereas Sasha is definitely more on the conservative end. Sasha's got that big, two-handed backhand and his forehand is really like so-so, whereas Stefanos, his forehand is one of the best on tour, quite frankly, and his one-handed backhand, you know, is okay. It's so-so. It's not huge, but it's pretty good. Um, Both of them actually have the weakness of the serve, though, which is kind of funny, uh, despite being big guys. What I want to know from you, and this is something that we've talked about off the air a lot, who do you think ends up having more majors in their career? Sasha Zverev or Stefano Tsitsipas? I mean,
0: purely from a talent perspective, there's really no argument. I mean, it's, it's Tsitsipas, right? Just purely from a talent perspective. But as we know, tennis is not purely talent. Otherwise, guys like Nick Kyrgios and Grigor Dimitrov would also be winning Grand Slams. So... I think, you know, I think it'll be about even, honestly. And I think that if one had to win one more like more than the other, I think it would be, I think, you know what? I take that back. I think it would be Zverev, but that's only because I think I trust Zverev more to beat Medvedev on a hard court than I do Tsitsipas. Because I think they can win about the same amount of, you know, Wimbledon's or Roland Garros's potentially, but... I don't I don't really see Steph beating Sverov and Medvedev twice, you know, beating both of them at hardcore majors. I can see Sverov doing it. I can't really see Steph doing it. So that's that's my take on that.
1: Yeah. So I'll break it down like this forehand, Sitsipas, backhand, Zverev. Serve, Sitsipas. Um net play or variety. I would say that's about a push, quite honestly. Probably, um,
0: probably it's Tsitsipas, but, but th- that's I, a
1: push. That's close enough.
0: But I think that Zverev is just a little bit more
1: dominating from the baseline overall. However, return of serve definitely is Zverev, oh, by right? Far. So at yeah. that point, at that point, we're three-three, and the last part of this equation that you alluded to that I think separates the two of them is mental game, and I think that's an absolute blowout for Zverev over Tsitsipas. I think when you look at it from a pure talent perspective, like you said, Sitsi Pass is the best, highest ceiling, most potential player on the tour. I don't, I don't even think that's like a I'm I'm counting in Yannick Sinner. I would even count in Carlos Alcaraz. I think that Sitsi Pass has the highest ceiling. I've said that since I like first saw him beat Federer in, you know, 2018, 2019, whenever that was. You know, he has every shot in the book every shot in the book that you could want, he's got it. It's the mental side. And if there's anything that I know from watching tennis all these years, it's that the mental side is way more important than anything else you've got. And for that, I would give it to Sasha Zverev, because like you said, I trust him to win those big matches more than I trust Stefano Tsitsipas at this point. Do I think that Tsitsipas will win a major? 100%. I don't think there's there's no doubt in my mind this guy's going to win a French Open at some point in his career, if not multiple French Opens. But do I think that he'll ever win a US Open or an Australian Open beating Daniil Medvedev on the way there? I don't think so. I just can't see it happening. I think he will need to get that number two ranking in the world um, and allow for somebody else to, to beat Medvedev on the way to the final. Um, whereas Zverev, I can see beating and has beaten Medvedev on a big stage on a hard court before Zverev has won major tournaments on clay. And I think on his day can beat, uh, Sasha Zverev on clay, uh, Sasha Zverev can beat Pass on clay. And I think on grass, because of the serve, if Zverev is even able to get some semblance of a second serve, he will be a threat on, on grass and at Wimbledon. So for me, I I would I would tip the edge towards Zverev slightly but yes I do agree with you that it is going to be very very close. Um and with that I think that's going to wrap up this episode. Uh we hope you have enjoyed uh this episode of the player profiles and if this is something that you guys enjoy please give this a um a like on Instagram and give us a good rating on Spotify and Apple podcasts. That helps us tremendously. If you were able to do that and leave a review, super helpful for us. If you would like to be on any of these episodes of player profiles, if there's a particular player that, you know, you really like you're a fan of, um, that you would like to join us, we are more than happy to have you on. We do these episodes over zoom most times. So pretty easy for us to have a guest. You're more than welcome on. Be sure to hit us up on at Breakpoint Podcast 7 on Instagram. And of course, we are available by our always faithful carrier pigeon to the Broadway Long Island Railroad uh, USPS. So thanks for joining us. And we'll see you guys next time. Bye.
0: Okay. go to class.